entering the Freedom Hut. One Democrat debate down, one Democrat debate to go tonight. We'll talk about winners and losers from last evening's affair. It was a socialism versus super liberalism fight. And we'll do a bit of a preview of what we can expect tonight with Biden and Harris clearly set to go after each other. Plus, Mario Lopez, an actor, uh, decided to say something that is pretty common sense to most Americans. And guess what? Got in a whole lot of trouble. Has to do with transgender toddlers. That and more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. As we saw in last night's debate before the first hour was over. Leading Democrats advocated a government takeover of health care, open borders, free health care to illegal immigrants, and raising taxes on the middle class to pay for it. And before the night was over, all the leading Democrats argued for decriminalizing illegal immigration, the Green New Deal, gun control, and abortion. But today, but today headlines across the country say that the story last night was that moderates in the Democratic Party were pushing back in the debate. You know, it's pretty amazing what the media calls moderates these days. (laughs) Last night's Democrat debate wasn't between moderates and liberals. It was between liberals and socialists. And that's the Democratic Party today. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Vice President Pence nailed it. That is what we saw last night. How socialist will the Democratic Party go? What is the speed? What is the pace? What is the depth of the socialism that they will embrace the moment that they are once again in power? On every major issue, health care, the, uh, the environment, immigration, the economy, taxes, on all of it. They have gone far left. It's just a question of who can be the most left wing and still maintain some Democrat support from the from the center. Tonight, we'll see more of a centrist showdown between uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. We know that they're both fighting it out for the establishment liberal lane. Um, There was some absolutely bonkers stuff that happened last night. At one point, they even brought up nuclear weapons, which I thought was interesting. They wanted to know if Elizabeth Warren, I think it was, would commit to not use a nuclear weapon unless one had been used against us first. This is an insane idea. If we think that a foreign country is is fueling up uh, fueling up its subs or its launchers or what have you to, to do a first strike on us, we're going to say, sorry, Commander-in-Chief decided that uh, you got to nuke one of our cities first before we use our tactical nuclear weapons on you. This is just, this is lunacy. I mean, Democrats have, some of their ideas are truly nuts. And there was a lot of that on display last night. So we'll talk. I I don't want to do too much of the preview of tonight's debate because we'll be getting into it in some detail tomorrow. And by the time you hear the show, the debate will already at least, uh, you know, Depending on when you hear the show, the debate might be over, might be underway. Um, but who had a good night last night? Burning and Warren for the leftists, for the for the socialists. They did their thing. 
it is the same speech from Bernie all the time. He says the same stuff over and over again. Same thing with Elizabeth Warren. And wow, neither of them are charming or or in any way charismatic, really. Um, and then uh, we'll talk about Marianne Williamson later on this hour. Marianne Williamson had a good night. You know, she may may seem like uh, somebody who's really better suited to do you know, that that healing with you know energies and crystal and stuff that people do sometimes, but. Turns out she actually had some stuff to say on stage last night and really got some attention. We'll get more into that. But socialism and hatred of Trump, those were the two biggest themes. You'll notice no talk at all. I don't think it was even mentioned last night. The Mueller report, Russia collusion, none of that. That doesn't play well anymore because that was all that was all fraud. It's a fraud. Trump didn't collude with Russia. You knew it. I knew it. We've known it all along. Do you think the libs, by the way, that think that you and I are crazy, do they ever stop to just just reckon for a moment with, wow, why do those people, why do those right wingers, how are they able to be so uh, prescient to foresee the future on things like Russia collusion when we were told by the media, by, by Rachel Maddow and by CNN and MSNBC and all these places that Trump's days in office were numbered because Mueller is going to, oh, no talk about Mueller last night. Yeah, they've moved on from that con. They moved on from that lie. It was useful to them for a time, and now they've decided there are other things that will be useful to them, like Trump is an evil racist. One of my, one of my, the funniest parts of last night, for me at least, was when Bernie Sanders, who was really in, in a mood, Bernie woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something, uh, but he went, he was going after Trump with everything he had and said things like this, play five. Instead of antagonizing all of our traditional allies, instead of antagonizing countries that actually believe in democracy, we should work with them. And we are not, among other things, going to be able to solve the crisis in climate change unless the entire world works together. We're not going to deal with the issue of the wealthy and large corporations stashing trillions of dollars in tax havens unless the entire world works together. So unlike Trump, I do not have an affinity for autocrats or dictators, whether they're in Russia or Saudi Arabia. My sympathy uh, is with democratic countries who believe in human rights. I love that line. I do not have an affinity for autocrats or dictators. Uh, Says the dude who went to the Soviet Union, an enemy that was trying to prepare for our actual annihilation for his honeymoon, folks, went to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. But oh, yeah, no no affinity for dictators. I'm sure he hates Cuba, the regime there. I'm sure he hates the Castros and Maduro. And this guy's got nothing but affinity for socialist strongmen and dictators all over the world. But, oh, that there's that. There's there's hatred of Trump. And what is most of the hatred? Uh, what, what is it uh, based on? Oh, that, that they say Trump lies and that Trump is a racist. I, I tell you, much of last night was boring. The parts that weren't weren't boring were crazy because the modern Democratic Party has essentially lost its mind. It has gone crazy. The leftists, the radicals, the AOCs, the socialists, they're in charge. Ideologically, spiritually, they move the media narrative. They're where the enthusiasm is. They have the young leftists on their side across the country. 
And they want to take this place into socialism. They want to bring us down into the socialist vortex. Doesn't matter what numbers we present them with, what history we show them that, that proves beyond any reasonable doubt that's a terrible idea. That's where they want to take us. So last night was a, a socialism showcase brought to you by the Democratic Party. We will spend more time breaking down the specific issues and everything else. Uh, coming up, team, in just a moment. Coming to you live, by the way, from Baltimore at the Stansbury Research HQ. We'll talk about Baltimore later on the show, too. Not a privilege. I believe that. I will fight for that. Tens of millions of people lose their health insurance every single year when they change jobs, when their employer changes that insurance. If you want stability in the health care system, if you want a system which gives you freedom of choice with regard to doctor or hospital, which is a system which will not bankrupt you, the answer is to get rid of the profiteering of the drug companies and the insurance companies move to Medicare. Bernie doesn't even know where the real problems are in the healthcare system. You want you want to know where you're really getting the worst the worst uh, cost the worst treatment in terms of the expenses that you're paying and everything. It's, it's hospitals. The places where you get ruined in the healthcare system are hospitals, and then and then yes, drug companies too. Uh, the the recurring expense of very of very high uh, very high cost prescription drugs is is can be ruinous but you want to go bankrupt where are you going back you're not going bankrupt in your you know dermatologist office you're not going bankrupt because of the treatment you received from your primary care doctor you're going bankrupt because of hospitals that's where the problem is and if you ask hospitals what their issues are well guess what there's already a tremendous amount of cost shifting that goes on where you know they obviously illegal alien goes into the emergency room guess what illegal alien gets car gets medical care whatever it is they get seen they get medical care then maybe they get a bill sent to them they're never going to pay they don't have a social security number anyway no one's going to track them down no one's going to find them you go to the emergency room your deductible of you know a couple thousand dollars, you're probably going to pay have to pay the whole thing yourself. And if you go to the emergency room with a big problem, Lord only knows what that's going to what that's going to look like, uh, and and how much you're going to have to pay. And remember, there are all these ways. I mean, highly unethical ways that you can end up with a hospital bill. You think you're in network, all of a sudden an anesthesiologist who's out of network while you're literally under, like on the table and out comes in and does something, and you get a bill for $100,000. This happens to people. Hospitals are the ones that bankrupt you. So if we're really going to talk about the problem, let's at least understand where the problem lies. Well, why are hospitals bankrupting you? Well, because if you don't fall under one of these government programs, if you're not covered under Medicaid, if you're not covered under Medicare, or uh, they try to squeeze as much as they can out of you, and their costs are complete. They won't share what the costs are even. You know, there was a little bit of attention on this this week. The Trump administration wants to make hospitals transparent about what the deals are they've negotiated with insurance companies. So, for example, if, you know, if the hospital says, okay, for our in-network insurers, an MRI is going to cost 500 bucks. But if you just come into the hospital and you don't have insurance and you try to get an MRI, it costs you $50,000. People should know that. They should know that before they get the bill. 
I mean, a lot of what goes on with hospital billing practices now is, is shameful. But the other side of it is the hospitals are being forced to give care to some people for free. So this is, you already have, I mean, the, the hospital becomes a microcosm of socialized medicine. The, the, the give from, take from the rich to give to the poor. In this case, a lot of it's poor illegal aliens who aren't supposed to be in the country in the first place. And if you try to expand the mandates, the government mandates, all oh, this hospital has to, you know, everyone's going to be on Medicaid, Medicare now, and the hospital has to take Medicare. Guess what happens? John Delaney, who's a wealthy guy, self-made, and, and does know how to read a balance sheet, isn't living in a total fantasy. I mean, look, if you're asking me right now, which Democrat, and this is, a, I know you're probably going to boo this, which Democrat would I vote for if I had to vote for a Democrat? If I had to look at the entire field of Democrats and cast my vote for one, I had no choice. No third party, no write-in. You have to pick one, it would be John Delaney. No question. That's an, that's an easy call for me. John Delaney would be the guy I'd pick. I mean, do I think he'd be a good president? No, but I don't think he'd be. I mean, I really believe that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders would, would actually destroy the American economy, and they would feel self-righteous while doing it. They would think that, you know, maybe, okay, sure, America's a lot poorer now, but we're all a lot poorer together. You know, all the fat cats can't exploit the working man anymore. You know, that that would be the mentality. They wouldn't even be chasing necessarily if they drove the country's economy into the, into the ground. Uh, but Bernie Sanders is, you know, people push him. They say, okay, so you're really going to get rid of private health insurance. And he goes, yeah, sure. Be better if the government the government was in charge of everything. It's going to save you money, they say. It's going to save you money unless you're really rich. Well, John Delaney, who I'm now apparently standing up for John Delaney here, but John Delaney, who knows something about a balance sheet and knows something about uh, cost curves and price and supply and demand, you know, basic economic stuff, he got to explain to Bernie Sanders last night on that stage that Medicare for all will will bankrupt the healthcare industry. Play seven. Under Medicare for all, the hospitals will save substantial sums of money because they're not going to be spending a fortune doing billing and the other bureaucratic things that they have to do today. Second of all, when we say $500 billion a year by ending all of the incredible complexities that are driving every American crazy trying to deal with the health insurance company. Thank you, Hospitals Senator. will be hey, better Congressman off. Delaney, I want to let you have a chance to respond. Listen, his math is wrong. That's all I'm saying. If his math is wrong, it's been well documented that if all the bills were paid at Medicare rate, which is specifically, I think it's in Section 1200 of their bill, then many hospitals in this country would close. I've been going around rural America, and I ask rural hospital administrators one question. If all your bills were paid at the Medicare rate last year, what would happen? And they all look at me and say, we would close. Yep. The government, people like Medicare because it's the government telling hospitals that you have to give service below the market rate because we say so. What's the market rate? Well, nobody even really knows that because then there's all these other distortions in the market about you know Medicaid and you know all these different programs. The government's making all these mandates about what you have to what you have to take care of and Obamacare. And Medicaid pays even less than Medicare. Medicaid isn't accepted by a lot of so what ends up happening is you tell doctors that they have to operate and hospitals have to operate outside of financial reality. 
And when they when they start to fight back, you know what then goes on? Then the Bernie Sanders of the world tell them, well, now you have to. Now you are telling people they are entitled to the labor and work of a doctor. They are appropriating the labor of a doctor and and handing it to, giving it to people because the government says so. That's what we're heading. They're heading toward. I mean, and this is what they're this is what they're pushing openly. I mean, the, the numbers don't add up. And what Bernie Sanders is proposing, what the other Democrats out there are saying they want to do, it simply does not work. You can't make it work. If it could work, who would be opposed to it? We all get great health care. This is what I think is so amazing. You know, I, I'm not a rich guy. I, I love the idea of never having to worry about my health care bills ever again. It would be fantastic. Oh, everyone's going to have great health care. No one's going to have to worry ever again. Who believes that that's really going to be the result? It's the chocolate cake you can eat endless amount of that never makes you fat, never runs out. Eat as much as you want. You don't get fat, never runs out, enough for everybody. It's not how anything works. It's not how the real world works at all. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're not operating. And Pete Buttigieg, too, by the way. He's a little radical also. He's a smarmy fellow. They're not operating the real world. I, I I don't know what to say other than that's that is absolutely clear after last night. They're making promises that they cannot mathematically or realistically keep, but in trying to keep them, Sanders and Warren and Buttigieg and some of the others too would do incalculable damage to our economy, to our freedom, to our health care system. And you get the sense that they don't even care. That's how convinced they are that this is the right thing to do. I want to drill down on the other crazy leftist on display last night. We've been talking about Bernie Sanders. Now it is time to get into what we heard from uh, Pocahontas, a.k.a. Elizabeth Warren, whom I do think we, we have to give her some credit. You have to show some respect to Warren, if nothing else, for her Terminator-like ability to march through the self-immolation of her fake Cherokee debacle. That requires a lot. It requires a lot of willingness to just just push through and not care about your dignity and not care about your reputation and just, you know, the will. She has a will to power that is Hillary-esque. Hello! I'll give her that. You know, she really is somebody who, she wants the job. She wants to be president. Make no mistake about it. And I think she knows she probably should have run the last time around. Um. Here she is now, pushing some of the ideas we've been talking about here on the show. And she's got to be the the full-on leftist, right? She's now the, in a sense, the female Bernie Sanders. Or maybe Bernie Sanders is the male Elizabeth Warren. Or maybe I'm being too gender normative. Who knows? But Elizabeth Warren uh, talked about Green New Deal, climate change, and Medicare for all. I mean, these are the big, that's the, that's the trifecta of liberal takeover right that will pretty much get you there green new deal climate change medicare for all open border those are the only things you need to just completely run the whole country and run it into the ground let's start with what she had to say about the uh the green new deal play 10 i put a real policy on the table 
to create 1.2 million new jobs in green manufacturing. There's going to be a $23 trillion worldwide market for this. This could revitalize huge cities across this country. And no one wants to talk about it. What you want to do instead is find the Republican talking point of a made-up piece of some other part and say, oh, we don't really have to do anything. That's the problem we've got in Washington right now. It continues to be a Washington that works great for oil companies, just not for people worried Thank about Thank you, Senator change. Warren. What is she even talking about? I mean, really, you, you listen to that back a few times. You think, is this person... I mean, what is she smoking? What is she, what is going on in her mind? There's a federal jobs guarantee with the Green New Deal. I mean, if if these technologies that they want to push on us were competitive, we wouldn't have to have the federal government ramming them down the energy industry's throat all the time. But they're not. I mean, how many times do I have to go through this? It, it, we have been decarbonizing for our entire history we went from you know burning wood to burning you know whale oil to burning coal to burning oil to burning natural gas to you know i mean this is we we are getting more efficient technologies this has been happening this will continue to happen i mean the shale revolution by the way has made our economy so much has done so much for our economy and also probably more than anything else on the, in the geopolitical realm harmed bad actors places like saudi arabia russia venezuela these are countries that you know you look back 20 years ago and it seemed like they were just in going to be in the driver's seat right writing these huge checks because they're massive cash infusions from all their oil well guess what america is now the world's energy superpower and we're supposed to feel badly about that we're supposed to think that this is a, a problem instead of celebrating this the left wants us to give this up We've become so wealthy and so dominant, and the lifeblood of our economy, which is energy, has been transformed even in recent years, and they just ignore this. They don't care. Spoke, she spoke more about the climate crisis, and you know they're just they're throwing around trillion, like you and I throw around you know a quarter that we find in the couch cushions. Plain nine. Climate crisis is the existential crisis for our world. It puts every living thing on this planet at risk. I have a plan for a green industrial policy that takes advantage of the fact that we do what we do best, and that is innovate and create. So I've proposed putting $2 trillion in so we do the research. We then say anyone in the world can use it so long as you build it right here in America. $2 trillion to do the research. $2 trillion, folks. That's, even in government terms, trillion is real money. And they're throwing around numbers like, oh, you know, uh, $10 trillion here, $30 trillion over 10 years. Medicare for all, Green New Deal. We're going to put these people in charge of of decision-making that our economy will, will live or die based upon whether they're right. I'll ask you this. Would you want Bernie Sanders in charge of your uh, your 401k? Would you want Bernie Sanders in charge of your, uh, forget about your 401k, your home's finances? Would you want to put this guy in charge? Like he really knows what's going on? Would you want him in charge of your business? Uh, then Elizabeth Warren talked about, this is the big lie. 
that they're never going to be able to get around, so they're just going to keep lying about it. And that is, how do you pay for your Medicare for all? How do you pay for your single-payer delusion? Oh, it's just the ritual pay. pay play eight. Just a point of clarification in 15 extra seconds. Would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all, uh, offset obviously by the elimination of insurance premiums? Yes or no? Costs will go up for billionaires and go up for corporations. For middle class families, costs, total costs will go down. That's a lie. No way. No way that is going to happen. No serious person thinks that's true. Nobody who looks at healthcare costs anywhere else believes that. You know, what she is promising is that only rich people will pay more in taxes. The middle class will be paying less because they'll be getting more from their health. There's just no way. It's just not going to work. Medicare is too expensive. People don't seem to realize Medicare as it is is not sustainable. Medicare is too expensive. You're going to just expand that out? We are hemorrhaging money year in and year out into, into Medic- a Medicare program that we cannot sustain. And the answer the Democrats come up with is, well, we need more of that. Do more of the unsustainable thing. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren's frightening, folks. She is frightening. You know, we've mocked her a lot, but if she were in charge, she would destroy the economy. She, she would destroy it. We have communities, particularly communities of color and disadvantaged communities all over this country who are suffering from environmental injustice. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. This is part of the dark underbelly of American society. The racism, the bigotry, and the entire conversation that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. We need to say it like it is. It's bigger than Flint. It's all over this country. It's particularly people of color. It's particularly people who do not have the money to fight back. And if the Democrats don't start saying it, then why would those people feel that they're there for us? And if those people don't feel it, they won't vote for us. And Donald Trump will win. The crazy lady who sounds like she's operating a small store that sells essential oils and wind chimes actually had a really good, really good night last night. Marianne Williamson, who would have thought? Talking about the dark psychic force of collectivized hatred. And she was, it was amazing to see the, they do this Google heat map. So a heat map shows frequency over, over a geographic region. And the, the Google heat map showed that uh, before the debate, you know, it was depending on where you were in the country, Bullock was getting a lot of Google search in Montana. Hey, Bullock. Uh, but everywhere else, it was Warren, it was Bernie, it was the, it was the, uh, the people you would expect. After that debate, Google was blowing up with Marianne Williamson searches. Everybody was searching Marianne Williamson. You know, I, I interviewed her a few months ago. Uh, at the hill and i will say you know she's very she's very pleasant she she comes across as there, she does have a warmth i mean i'm sure she's learned this from her uh, you know her job as a as an author and motivational speaker and uh but she not only showed up there i mean because here's the thing i if we're gonna have crazy i at least want you know, yoga instructor, healing crystals, motivational speaker kind of crazy. I don't want Elizabeth Warren, 
you know, I'm going to take all of your stuff, ruin the economy, and then lecture you about how you just didn't do enough kind of crazy, right? I mean, I, I, I at least want something. I want something for my misery, right? And I think that Marianne Williams, I, you know, my friend David Harsanyi tweeted this out earlier today, and I agree with him. I would vote for Marianne Williamson before I would vote for Bernie Sanders. Yep. Absolutely. I would vote for Mary Ann Williamson before I'd vote for Bernie Sanders. I know that's that may seem, you know, at least at least with her, you kind of get a wild card. You don't really know with Bernie. You're like, oh, this guy just reality doesn't matter to him. He just wants to. He's an ideologue who wants to destroy the economy. Okay, good to know. And by the way, not cuddly at all. Not funny, not charming, just yelling. He was all last night. He's, you know, the billionaires, the billionaires. But Bernie, you're a millionaire. But yeah, I'm not a billionaire, but I'm not a bad billionaire. He's running around, he's yelling, he's screaming, you know, corporations ripping off working people. I care so much about work. All this stuff. You're like, Bernie, do you ever, you know, no smiling, no, really no grace from Bernie at all. Just a lot of like, uh, you know, standing on the street corner, whipping people up into a frenzy as a you know community organizer and rabble rouser. That, that seems to be Bernie's vibe. Marianne Williamson, on the other hand, is coining phrases like dark psychic force and and, uh, you know, then she went a little bit, uh, look, she, they're all bad, folks. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to slice the onion thin here with the different variations of bad. I mean, she, she would be a horrible president. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It'd be a nightmare for the country. But at least it'd be a nightmare with some amusing, amusing parts of it. Uh, you know, she said last night that she wants a hundred billion dollar for slavery reparations keep in mind we, we can't get three or four million dollars for a border wall when we have a massive crisis at our southern border but here she is saying that anything less than a hundred billion dollars for slavery reparations is just unthinkable unacceptable play 11 that great injustice has had to do with the fact that there was 250 years of slavery followed by another 100, 100 years of domestic terrorism. What makes me qualified to say 200 to 500 billion dollars? I'll tell you what makes me qualified. If you did the math of the 40 acres in a mule, given that there was four to five million slaves at the end of, of, of the Civil War, there were four to five, and they were all promised 40 acres in a mule for every family of four. If you did the math today, it would be trillions of dollars. And I believe that anything less than $100 billion is, is an insult. And I believe that 200 to $500 billion is, is politically feasible today because so many Americans realize there is an injustice that continues to form a toxicity underneath the surface, an emotional turbulence Ms. that Williamson, only reparations Thank will you be. very much. And we'll talk more about reparations later, but I, and I really mean this. If you are a a music superstar worth hundreds of millions of dollars who is african-american do you, do you would you get reparations still if you are a billionaire african-american entrepreneur media mogul do, do you get repar i mean would reparations it's a real question would reparations be means tested is this to go to individuals or to institutions we'll, we'll come back to this later but it's just it sounds like an idea that you could at least consider until you consider it and then you realize it's just unworkable and i and i think it deeply unjust too but that's another part of the conversation 100 billion dollars for slavery she says that's that's what she's that's what she's going for um but she has a nice way about her you know and at one point she turned to that democrat field on the stage last night and seemed to call them out and say you know what exactly are you clowns doing here it was quite a moment marion williamson got some Got some fire in the belly. 
she she had a, a breakout night. Now, breakout night for her is going to mean she's going to go from 0% in the polls probably to 1% or 2% in the polls. It's not going to really mean anything. He's not going to be president. Even though, if it's her or Bernie, I would, I would go so far as to say I would vote for Marianne Williamson over Elizabeth Warren, too. I really would. Warren and Bernie are just, you, you can't reach them anymore. They, it does, the numbers don't add up, and they don't care doesn't matter to them they're gonna plow ahead and do this they they figure castro and maduro and you know go down the list just didn't do it right didn't figure this out the way it needed to be figured out in the past i think about a place like argentina why is argentina so poor i was just down there with secretary of state pompeo why is argentina so poor you walk around you ask anybody who knows you know what they say socialism they didn't necessarily call it all so but it was all socialist programs huge welfare state um, obligations that they couldn't pay, an economy that couldn't sustain the you know thirty hour work week and all these other nice perks they were giving themselves thirty five hours, whatever it was. Socialism, the state making determinations about what goods will be made, who gets those goods, what hours you know what 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 businesses uh, can do, how much you pay in taxes, how much you can, all this stuff. Socialism in sectors, and then socialism top down with the economy. But you know, Argentina shouldn't be a poor place. It is a poor place. A lot of Latin American countries shouldn't be poor places. Maybe they should be, you know, doing kind of you know uh, reasonably well. And they're poor, and they're poor because people come along and say that everything would be great for you if it weren't for the big bad capitalists and the corporations. The same crap we are hearing from these Democrats. They never learn the lesson. They don't want to. It doesn't matter at this point. You can you can present Bernie Sanders with all the evidence in the world that single payer uh, health care is a terrible idea for this country and he will not budge. This is he thinks his life's work is to get us there. So, you know, there are some true believers and true believers on the left. They're they're a scary bunch. Marianne Williamson is more of a true believer in, you know, unicorns flying over the dewdrop infused mountains of the core of your soul of your chi of you know whatever whatever it is that she's talking about at, at least it's at least there's some positivity to it i don't know you know here's what she says for example what she's asked after the debate how she thinks it uh, how she thinks it went play 13 how are you going to beat Trump's dark psychic force? With love. Let me tell you something. Only light casts out darkness and only love casts out hatred. He has collectivized hatred. You know, Jerry Kushner said to his father-in-law uh, before they ran, he said, there are a lot of angry people out there. We could harness all that and make you president. And when I read that, I thought to myself, there's so much dignity out there and decency and goodness in people. We could harness all that and change the world. What's the best way to utilize the power of love, in your opinion? Forgive somebody. The power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weak, make another man sing. Right? That's the that's the power of love. We need we'll to right call back. out white supremacy for what it is: domestic terrorism, and it poses a threat to the United States of America. We live in a country now where the president is advancing environmental racism, economic racism, criminal justice racism, healthcare racism. The way we do better is to fight back and show something better. So I have a plan, for example, on education that says we have to build a better education system for all our kids, but we've got to acknowledge what's happened on race. So my plan has universal tuition-free college 
for all of our kids, but also increases the Pell Grants and levels the playing field by putting $50 billion into historically black colleges and universities. It cancels student loan debt for 95% of the kids with student loan debt and helps close the black-white wealth gap in America. You know, they've gone through this experiment of let's just put more money into certain communities and let's throw more money at the problem. They've done it with the public education system and the achievement gap uh, as measured via test scores uh, has not has not narrowed at all. Really, it it is a negligible narrowing of the achievement gap. And it's been now a 30 year long experiment in public education, I think more like 40 years long in public education where they've been monitoring this and trying never they haven't been able to do it. But now they think they're going to narrow the narrow the wealth gap uh, by making college free. College is too expensive. I don't know how I, if I had kids, would send them to the schools. And I, I thank my parents for having four kids and being able to, thanks to my mom and my dad, you know, gritting it out and working hard, being able to send us to colleges that are, are just mind blowingly expensive, mind blowingly expensive. I mean, you look at some of these elite private colleges and universities, you're talking about $55,000 a year for four years. That's a lot of money after taxes. you got to make a lot of money to have that fifty-five grand in your bank account. And even these state schools, you're looking, if you're out of state, you can pay twenty-five, thirty grand. If you're in-state, it's, what, 15? Depends on the school. Something around that, 15 to 20. And their answer is to just make this all free. That's really, oh, people are really going to appreciate their college education when they haven't had to pay a dollar for it. And people are really going to think long and hard about whether they should go spend four years of their lives, you know, studying underwater basket weaving when someone else is picking up the entire tab. This is a completely, this is not looking at the problem at all. It's just using class warfare uh, and, and racial tension and pandering to the Democrat primary voters who really just want to feel good about themselves because they're better than the bad people and the bad people are republic you know that's the bad people are those who can do math and tell you that medicare for all would destroy the country okay would destroy the economy very quickly very it's almost like they're running an experiment with these democrats how can we ruin america the fastest some of the programs they are proposing they are very wedded to would destroy the country it wouldn't just be bad for the country would destroy the country and they are sanctimonious about it they're self-righteous about how much we need to do these things they want us to do free college erasing student debt why erase student debt and why not race uh, erase credit card debt what i i i should carry around credit card debt for buying groceries and and you know going to the pharmacy and getting toothpaste and why do i have to carry that debt around and why should I, as a taxpayer, shoulder the burden for other people going to school and taking out taking out these enormous loans? All they're doing is just socializing that debt among all of us. You know, we've forgotten what nasty inflation looks like in this country. And there's this assumption, especially because we've been led to believe that the the wizards of our financial system saved us from a global economic collapse in 2008 we've been led to believe, oh, well, if if inflation started to happen, we'd be able to. That's not how it works. Inflation that gets out of control is exactly that. And when you're talking about nationalizing effectively these debts, socializing these debts across the entire taxpayer base, 
you are playing with fire that could bring down the entire economy. Somehow, Beto is uh, is holding on here and continuing to uh, keep a pretty sizable chunk of the of the electorate uh, based on the polls on his side. Somehow, Beto O'Rourke, despite his bizarre watch me clean my teeth video and the fact that he doesn't really seem to know anything or stand for anything other than Betoism is still in the game here. But I, I, I last night as I was watching this thing, I felt like it was even hard to remember if Beto was on or if he was going to be on tonight. He made no impact. He did not have a single powerful moment. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Mayor Pete, I find Mayor Pete to be very annoying. Um, he he likes to lecture people about a lot of things and, and says things about, you know, how you can't be religious, essentially, if you're a conservative. That's that's his whole his whole game. And how if you don't support a minimum wage, you know, you, you're not really you're not really a Christian. He likes to do this. You're not really a Christian. If now this is a guy who remind you, uh, I will remind you believes that abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy up to and including the last day of the ninth month when the baby is ready to be delivered he believes that 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 is not a human being and can be aborted can be terminated killed so his lecturing the rest of the country on christianity is something that i really don't like to have to stomach but we we get a lot of that but I, i give credit where it's due and he did have a good answer on afghanistan uh, where you will soon have people who are uh, deploying in Afghanistan, or at least theoretically could deploy in Afghanistan, who were not alive when 9-11 happened, and we've been continuously deploying there since 2000, the end of 2001 or the beginning of 2002. And that was the... And he says that we should pull out of Afghanistan. I think that's the right answer. And people keep saying, oh, but that's what we did in Iraq. And Iraq and Afghanistan are not the same there's you know there's also at some point you got to roll the dice and we were not ready to roll the dice in iraq i think we are ready to roll the dice in afghanistan and that's why we should get out we will get out i believe i think i think trump knows this i think the administration knows this that this absolutely has to happen but uh that was buddha judge's only 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 worthwhile moment as far as i can remember beto though Beto was really going for it last night because he knew he had to have some some kind of a breakout. And that's when he got into this. The the two areas where I think he, his earnest, almost motivational speakery sounding liberalism, the two places where he really loves to weigh in is on anything that's race related and anything that is global warming related. And I'd throw the border in there too. He's terror, absolutely horrible on the border. So I guess there's three things. But let's start first with uh, Beto on global warming. Please play 14. I've listened to scientists on this, and they're very clear. We don't have more than 10 years to get this right. And we won't meet that challenge with half steps or half measures or only half the country. We've got to bring everyone in. The people of Detroit and those that I listened to in Flint last week, they want the challenge. They want those jobs. They want to create the future for this country and the world. Those community college students that I met in Tucumcari, New Mexico, understand that wind and solar jobs are the fastest growing jobs in the country. And those farmers in Iowa say, pay me for the environmental services of planting cover crops and keeping more land in 
conservation easements. That's how we meet the challenge. We do it with everyone in this country. We bring everyone into the solution. Wow, it's almost like the moral equivalent of war. You want to talk about somebody that's pushing ideas that do have corollaries, at least in fascism, everybody in the country being involved in the Green New Deal and green energy creation, everybody, all hands on deck. We all must be involved. Should always get scared when politicians start to say how we're all going to have a hand in something that less than half of us think is even a problem. He says that this is where all the new energy is going to come from. This is where all the job growth will be. Here's a problem for you. Uh, the technology doesn't exist to make these uh, different sustainable energies competitive. It doesn't exist. Because you have, and all this stuff about electric cars too. Oh, you know, who was it last night? I think it was uh, Tim Ryan, who always looks like a kid who didn't do his homework last night and just got called on by the teacher. Like, oh my gosh. That's the, that's what Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio looks like. But he wants to get rid of all new fossil fuel cars. Oh, okay, that's great. Let's have electric cars. That's what they will say. We're all going to have electric cars. We'll be cool driving around in our Teslas and all that fun stuff. There's a problem with that. Electricity is a secondary is a secondary power source. You have to generate electricity for it has to come from somewhere. So, yeah, electricity is a clean energy source, but creating that electricity is not necessarily a clean energy source. Uh, yeah, coal, coal has been under a lot of pressure. You know what coal has been under a lot of pressure from other than the government? Natural gas, fracking, liquefied natural gas. These are things that are our technologies that are pretty much that are that are there obviously there there's a vast market for it but i mean they've become over the last 15 or 20 years more efficient better better use case and so we're moving to it and it's cleaner natural gas is cleaner than coal it's already happening they keep wanting to jump to the end of the movie and they're and and the script isn't finished yet we're not there yet and they want enormous power and the ability to waste trillions literally trillions of dollars of your money in this process and they're saying trust us they're saying just just let us let us make this call let us make this determination uh here's a problem with solar problem with wind uh how do you get it where it needs to go you need the grid infrastructure for it how do you store it uh do you know what the real answer to our power problems are if we want clean uh very 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 safe and incredibly efficient power sources the answer is nuclear but we haven't been pursuing nuclear power and nuclear technology new the newest kinds of reactors the newest because the libs back in the 70s convinced themselves and try to convince the rest of the world that nuclear power was going to destroy the world this was a this was a common thing that there would be you know meltdown and and that's also why I was I was angry that while the some of the stuff in the Chernobyl uh, series the HBO did was very worthwhile to see how deep in the lies a Soviet bureauc- bureaucracy was there there was bad politics in that show too notably that the the over demoniz- I mean the demonization and then the just overhyping of the ill effects of of even a meltdown like Chernobyl this is because the left thinks that nuclear power is bad and they won't change their minds. If you were serious, if we're talking solutions for how do we put less CO2 in the air, but we still can power entire cities, nuclear power. 
and really pursuing nuclear and making that a much bigger component of our scientific research. And that would be the way to do it. And by the way, I think that's probably going to happen. Uh, solar and, and wind, they're just not efficient enough. They're not, we're nowhere near. Solar has been the next big thing for the last 30 years. It's not happening. And some of you say, oh, but I've got solar panels on my roof. Okay, yeah, but we're talking about at a mass, at a macro level. It's not the solution. It's not the answer. But Beto wants to pretend that it is. Oh, and then we've got Beto talking about uh, slavery and reparations. You know, I mean, for, for a guy like Beto, you know, the, the only good news for him is that Mayor Pete's in the race, and Mayor Pete has 0% support among the African-American community. So there is somebody who has less support in the African-American community than Beto O'Rourke. But here's Beto trying to really shore up his, his credentials with minority voters. Play 15. I want to acknowledge something that we're all touching on, which is the very foundation of this country, the, the wealth that we have built, the way we became the greatest country on the face of the planet was literally on the backs of those who were kidnapped and brought here by force. The legacy of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow and suppression is alive and well in every aspect of the economy and in the country today. As president, I will sign into law a new Voting Rights Act. I will focus on education, address health care disparities, but I will also sign into law Sheila Jackson Lee's reparations bill so that we can have the national conversation we have waited too long in this country to have. I mean, this is this is complete pandering. Who's going to get reparations? How, how much? What if what if you're half uh, if you're half ancestor half of your ancestry is African American? Do you get do you count qualify? Do individuals get reparations or only institutions? What are the obligations of those of those institutions? How much money is enough money? Is it a one time payment or will there be future payments as well? Hmm. What other historical injustices, by the way, come next after this? You don't think you don't think that there'll then be a major effort to pay, pay massive uh, reparations to different Native American communities, and I'm sure there'll be you know the Asian American community. Anti Chinese discrimination was horrible in this country in the late 19th century. Also, Beto's history. I just want to note, you know, I, I no one could deny one the evil of slavery, and two that it was an important part of the South's agrarian economy. Uh, that is that is reality. It was reality for a long time in this country. But him saying that the reason that we are the wealthiest country in the world was built in the backs of slaves. Uh, there were slaves all across South America. There were slaves all across the Mediterranean Basin, the Islamic Empire of the Caliphate of, of Istanbul, of Turkey, rather, uh, and the Ottoman Empire. They they had slaves all across the Mediterranean. I mean, Slavery was actually the norm in the world until pretty recently for a lot of countries all over the world. Countries that could take slaves from other countries did. It stretches all the way back to the Roman Empire, stretches all the way back to the Bible, stretches. This this was so there does seem to be this belief among modern liberals that that the only country that ever had slavery was the United States. And that is just simply not true. And we did fight a very bloody nasty civil war to end slavery so i i do also want to know you know if your ancestors if, if you had a a family member an ancestor who died fighting for the union in the civil war would that does you know do we do we factor that in i mean who's going to adjudicate who gets what and how and why is taking money from people today to give to people for what was done to their ancestors a long time ago 
that there's so many generations have passed that the connection, the individual connection to any any wealth is. I mean, do any of you know listening to this? You know how, how wealth how wealthy were your great great grandparents? I, I don't know. What what was what was their net worth? I have no idea. I don't know if you know. I don't know. But it's not supposed to be a serious policy proposal. It's just supposed to be pandering. It is Beto pandering like there's no tomorrow. Because for him, at least in this election, there could be no tomorrow insofar as his candidacy hasn't gotten any traction and people are not uh, enthusiastic about him the way they were when they thought maybe he had this long shot chance to defeat Ted Cruz, which did not end up happening despite all the attention and money that he got for that. Uh, but global warming, reparations, this is this is all part. There are a few very broad themes here. One of them is that it's socialism versus liberals, the socialism versus libs, which sec, uh, Vice President Pence absolutely nailed. He's completely correct. And then you also look at this as arguing over what's possible versus arguing over fantasies. And the most prominent democrats with the exception of joe biden and kamala harris but the other the warrens the buddha judges the uh, bernie sanders they're they're pushing for stuff that's just straight up fantasy land never going to happen as a policy but it's all about appealing to the emotions of the masses on the left that's what they are doing that is the plan i don't know how much crazier the left can get we saw last night that they are Pretty close to full-on embracing socialism uh, for a majority of the Democratic candidates. There there was some sanity on that stage, not entirely sane candidates, but there were some people that were able to make a bit of sense. And then there's there's just crazy town. But the left, the ideologues on the left really want crazy town. It's not just Medicare for all, which isn't even what they say it is. And it's not just the Green New Deal, which is just a fantasy. It's an unserious proposal for unserious people. It's not just that. Then there's these other areas. We talked yesterday about the transgender weightlifter who is now like the world champion weightlifter among women, even though it's a biological male who decided a couple of years ago to be a female. And this is now happening. And you have people that look at you and say things like, you know, well, this is this is totally fine. And they get in these really convoluted arguments and they never make the same argument because it's, oh, is it about acceptance or, oh, they don't really, you know, if they're taking the hormones, then the advantage of being biologically male, if you're taking estrogen, doesn't really count as much. They do all this stuff. And it's because there's not really one answer because there's no answer because what they're doing is crazy. It's just it's obviously wrong. It's uh, if I were a, a female who had spent my life trying to be the best at what I what I did uh, whether, you know, on the sports field or and then some a man comes along and says, well, I'm a woman now and I'm going to uh, go up against you in this. Hey, look, I, I'm now a, a, a 37 year old uh, desk jockey, not to be confused with a disc jockey, which is actually how radio really got got going in a lot of ways. But. You know, if you told me that I had to go do uh, Greco-Roman wrestling against women, I mean, I would I would probably be in the top 10 in the world pretty quickly. Although there's probably some women out there who say, oh, yeah, but no, really, uh, this is this is why you have the disparity that you do. I mean, you have a 14 year old men's soccer, 14 year old, uh, you know, junior Olympic team, which is what it is 
playing against the women's national team that's the best in the world and the junior Olympic 14-year-olds crushed adult women in competition because we're biologically different. Can we stop pretend? This is very obvious stuff. All right, why am I bringing this one up? Mario Lopez, he of Saved by the Bell fame and then kind of just a host guy who does a lot of... um, he like does a lot of celebrity stuff where he's like, Hey, I'm on the red carpet here, I guess for E or ET or whatever it's called. Uh, I, I find celebrity gossip things, the, the most insipid, worthless content on planet earth is like, Oh my gosh, what are you wearing? And like, who are you bringing tonight to this gala? And like, Oh my gosh, that's to me, there's nothing worse. I, I, I can't think of anything on TV that I, I would rather watch you know, uh, Korean language, religious services, and I don't speak any Korean. I mean, it's like that kind of, I just, I just g- give me anything other than, other than watching this, like, oh my gosh, who are you wearing? And it's the weird. So Mario Lopez was on uh, Candace Owens podcast and everybody's got a podcast these days. And he was on the podcast and he was talking about, and he's a father. And I know him from Saved by the Bell, where uh, he was the high school hunk. And if you go back and, well, I I, I won't talk about Saved by the Bell now, but it was a show that I watched a lot as a kid. And uh, here's what he said. Now, because I don't want to get into the backlash without giving you exactly what his statement was. Now, this is about transgender toddlers. Transgender toddlers. Little kids whether or not they should be deciding or encouraged to decide that they are non-gender binary at the age of two or three. Here is what Mario Lopez said. Quote, I'm trying to understand it myself, and please don't lump me into that whole group. I'm kind of blown away, too. Look, I'm never one to tell anyone how to parent their kids, obviously, And I think if you come from a place of love, you really can't go wrong. But at the same time, my God, if you're three years old and you're saying you're feeling a certain way or you think you're a boy or a girl or whatever the case may be, I just think it's dangerous as a parent to make this determination. Then, well, okay, then you're going to be a boy or a girl, whatever the case may be. It's sort of alarming, and my gosh, I just think about the repercussions later on. He added, when you're a kid, you don't know anything about sexuality yet. You're just a kid. Not a single word of that statement is incorrect, unkind, bigoted, thoughtless. There's nothing wrong with anything he said. Does anyone want to guess? What the reaction has been to a kind of, you know, known but not particularly famous uh, Hollywood guy saying that transgender three-year-olds is something that we should at least have some questions about. That maybe we shouldn't be telling a three-year-old who one day is saying I'm a spaceship and the next day is saying I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Maybe that three-year-old saying I think I'm a girl is not something that we should all say, oh, great. Now we're going to put you in a dress and change your gender because we don't want to be gender normative here. They have completely freaked out. 
NBC News writes things like this. This is NBC News, not even MSNBC, although they're really the same. It just one tries to be a little more corporate friendly and slightly less crazy than the other. This is their headline. Mario Lopez says it's dangerous for parents to support transgender kids. That is not what he said. He didn't say it is dangerous. He worried that it could be dangerous over the long term to take the word of a three-year-old about what his or her gender is. Now, I don't have kids, but I do know that three-year-olds are very small and do not know anything. Apparently, leftists do not know this. And what's so amazing is what you really have are all of these uh, millennial and whatever whatever is younger than millennial, you know, single libs who want another scalp here. They, they want Mario Lopez in big trouble over this. Backlash over his comments on trans kids. He's apologized for ignorant and insensitive comments about parent uh, parenting transgender kids. There's no such thing as a transgender kid who's three. Doesn't exist. Three-year-olds don't know gender. They don't know sex. They don't know anything. My friends, this is this is people who are who are trying to put a medical justification. Those experts that they're quoting saying, "Oh, so dangerous and terrible for Mario Lopez to say this." They're trying to create a false medical condition and put so-called experts in a position to normalize child abuse. That's right. That's what they're doing. If you, if a three-year-old says, who's a boy, I think I'm a girl, or a girl says, I think I'm a boy, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, let's treat you entirely differently. Let, let's remove you from the gender, from the, the gender normalcy that you've been living in and take your word for it at three that this is the way you are you know sometimes a three-year-old just needs to be told you know eat your peas do what you're told it's not all about self-actualization at age three i I know the libs you know there's nothing that they won't now defend as too young too crazy with this stuff they've already talked about how they want uh, hormone therapy to be allowed for people who are not yet 18. So you can do irreversible, and no one even knows what the long-term results of this would be. But by the way, you know, you, you look at the... They always point to the mental health statistics as a reason for why we should listen to people who, especially young people who identify as transgender more, because, see, people are not accepting enough of them, and that's why the suicide rate is, is what it is, and the mental health and the depression is is such a... Uh, is in such bad shape overall across the community. And a lot of other people look at it and say, no, it's because transgenderism is a is in itself a mental illness. That was the that was the medical community's official diagnosis until about five years ago. And now they've even changed they're even changing the terms, which is a huge tell. It's no longer gender dysphoria. It's no longer that you're confused about your gender. It's, oh, it's gender affirmation. It's gender affirmation. And you have to use the preferred pronouns and all this. Even 10 years ago, this would have, if you brought this up, people said you're fear-mongering. It'll never get like that. No one's saying that 12-year-old boys should be able to use the bathrooms at school of 12-year-old girls in the same locker rooms. No one's saying that. Oh, no, now all the left is saying that. And now Mario Lopez is apologizing for it uh caramo brown calls out mario lopez Uh, who else calls him out here i mean just all these different people 
piling on Mario Lopez. And then he apologized. And I, I wish, I wish he could have uh, gotten the the word from one. Just dude, don't apologize. It doesn't make it better for you. It does not, unless the person signing your check is like apologize or you're fired. Do not apologize. And even then, you might apologize and get fired, but never bend the knee to the rage mob. And this is a rage mob of truly crazy people. Transgender toddlers, not even teenagers, toddlers. This is where the left has gone now. And these people want to be in charge of the country. Just keep that in mind. Bad day for Mario Lopez. We think that we started before too long. Uh, I'm very hopeful. Chairman Kim had said when uh, the two leaders met at the DMC that they start in a few weeks. Taken a little bit longer than that. There's been a little bit of preliminary work to be done. But I hope, and I never want to say that, I hope before too long we'll have uh, Special Representative Beacon uh, sitting with his, what I think will be a new counterpart uh, from North Korea. Ah, uh, the effort to try to get North Korea to stop being a homicidal maniac country, it's not going well so far, folks. Look, we I've given the president, I'm trying to give the president the leeway before we, we judge what's going on here. It's going to take time. Everyone before him has failed. And, and unlike other deals like, say, the Iran deal under the Obama administration, there's really no downside to what Trump has tried so far. It has just been an, an opening for diplomacy and, and, and conversation. But North Korea has fired two short-range ballistic missiles uh, in the last week. And people are saying that this is what the North always does, right? They fire off these missiles and then they're going to complain about how we have uh, scheduled military exercises because we've planned to do them. Um, we've scaled them back a bit, but we're still planning to do military exercises with South Korea. And so Nor- the North Korea decides that this is how they're going to act out. I'm just going to say it. I, I don't have a, a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, detail to offer and why I think this negotiation is stalling other than there's the incentive structure for the North Korean leaders, the people that are calling the shots, Kim Jong-un and whatever his immediate circle of advisors is. And we don't really know what's going on there. I mean, think about how much we knew about Iraq before you know the WMD debacle and understand that we know a lot less about what's going on in North Korea, that's for sure. We don't understand how the leadership structure really works day to day. Uh, it's it's probably the hardest uh, collection target in the world for information. It's cut off from the internet. It's a totalitarian police state. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't uh, script out a country that's really harder to get. I mean, the language barriers and difficulties we have just with that. So there's there's a lot um, there's a lot that's working against us with North Korea. I, I think the president is unlikely to get them to abandon their nuclear weapons they're, they're just going to keep playing for time the north koreans are going to extend this out as long as they can and try to get as much out of us as they can because as i've talked to you in the past uh, about it's really an extension of the uh, totalitarianism of imperial japan and it's a north korea is an ethno-fascist state and it views itself as as a place that force is the only justification for the regime to exist in the first place is to prevent the annihilation of the North Korean people by 
all these other bad people around the world and all the propaganda against that. So I just, we had Pompeo there. You know I have a lot of faith in Pompeo. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's doing a good job. I think maybe, maybe, maybe does he have aspirations himself down the line? Who knows? But it's just not going to happen. Why would the North Koreans do it? They're, they're used to the, the status quo is something they've been dealing with for a long time. I don't see this dam breaking. And so I think we should all prepare for in the last year of Trump's first term. He's going to get a, a, a lot of criticism on this one. We will put that in the proper context, which is that he hasn't been able to get a deal just yet. Doesn't mean that he won't ever get a deal. And it doesn't mean that it was a bad idea to try. Um, because now you have to start thinking, well, if we can't get a deal and we're running out of time and they're getting more and more advanced missiles, what is the other option? You think back to what got us here in the first place. Why did we find ourselves even thinking about this North Korea situation on a regular basis? It's because we wanted to do something diplomatic instead of doing something that is a a kinetic strike, which is a very sterile way of talking about a military operation that could result in the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives very rapidly so hundreds of thousands so i do hope and pray that trump is able to get this thing on a better path but north korea is it's the most evil state on planet earth and he's trying to get it to stop being effectively stop being what it is but the essence of the place is force is violence is slavery is servitude to overcome that really with sheer force of of personality and and some degree of high stakes negotiation for the president of the united states it's just it's a tall order and it it always has been i think for a lot of administrations they figured it was better to keep the status quo because at least then you're just doing what the guy before you did in office and you're not risking any of your political or diplomatic capital in the process uh trump does not yet have results with north korea uh the the missiles getting fired off this week shows the north korean state is still very willing to be belligerent and difficult and this is one of the biggest foreign policy challenges that he has taken on it's really this and china are going to be defining uh are going to be defining outcomes of his entire presidency and i think we already we're already seeing that if he can get a trade deal with china and he can get north korea Either of those things, never mind both of them, get North Korea to denuclearize, uh, he will deserve a Nobel Peace Prize. Not that he would want it or would even take it. When Congressman Elijah Cummings calls you a racist, your reaction is what? Well, I think the word has really gone down a long way because everybody's called a racist now. Uh, Her own party called Nancy Pelosi a racist two weeks ago. Uh, the word is so overused, it's such a disgrace. And I can tell you, I'm the least racist person there is in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And they use it almost when they run out of things to criticize you. They say, he's a racist, he's a racist. Now, in some cases, it's true. There are people that are racist, bad people. But with me, uh, (laughs) they have a hard time getting away with it, and they don't get away with it. President Trump is right. People throw the term racist around far too often. The left, the Democrats, they do it in cynical fashion. They do it in order to uh, destroy their political opponents, to make people agree to things that they would not agree to in politics because they don't want to be considered racist. I mean, we talked about busing yesterday. What was the biggest problem with criticizing any aspect of busing? You're going to get called a racist. The same reason why for 
decades. The vote here. Here's a perfect example of why calling everybody a racist is a bad idea. Uh, one on the busing issue, it just meant that there could be no real discussion over the failures of the program. Because to discuss the failures of busing would open you up to, wait, what do you mean you don't think busing is great? You must be a racist. This very simplistic uh, ambush that you would be uh, subjected to right away. Uh, but there, there, are, there are other areas of uh, policy as well where you, the moment that you bring it up, you're very likely to be called a racist. And it just shuts down worthwhile discussion about the effects of real public policy. It shuts down discussion about, oh, the Voting Rights Act. That's what I was trying to think of for a second. The Voting Rights Act was using outdated information to determine where there needed to be special attention for jurisdictions where there had been voter fraud. They were using information from like 30 or 40 years ago. Well, what does that have to do with whether there would be any uh, voter suppression, rather, voter suppression efforts in those places now? That's a long time. But if you tried to adjust, and the Supreme Court finally did allow it, by the way, adjust any aspect of the Voting Rights Act to bring it up to the times, you were opposed to voting rights. You were all of a sudden in the same camp as the KKK and the true racists. We don't have to say this. We all know this. Of course, there are real racists. There are real racists of all different ethnicities and kinds who hate all different kinds of other people. This is just, unfortunately, a, a human defect that we all share. Human beings are, at at our simplest level, animals, and we can be very tribal. And that tribal mentality has played out in very bad ways all throughout societies, uh, all throughout history. So this is, not, this is nothing new. The, the other uh, and people's inability to understand their common humanity first has been a risk has been around not just a risk has been around for as long as we have been a a, spe- a species so now with, with that uh there are a lot of areas of the law or a lot of areas of policy where we can't really have a serious discussion and that then reminds me because i am here in baltimore of what i saw today i i was with some of my friends here at stansbury research and i went i said look i i need to see I've been around some of it before, but I really want to spend a couple hours today looking at the different areas. I want to look at Elijah Cummings' district. And sure enough, what you find when you drive around East and West Baltimore is that there are whole blocks that are effectively abandoned, uh, dilapidated housing, boarded up. And there'll be people living in houses a block or two away, but their property values, of course, are always going to be kept rock bottom because they have abandoned homes and many cases abandoned homes on the same block sometimes right next to the house they live in boarded up houses which are magnets for criminal activity for uh people to sell drugs in for all all kinds of of uh, nefarious behavior some of the things you notice you see there's very few businesses in parts of baltimore where you'd expect there to be more going on there's very few stores the few stores you do see in East and West Baltimore are locked down with gates and grates and all kinds of metal bars as though they're expecting a prison riot to come through at any minute and, you know, take hostages and just loot the whole store. I mean, they really have a uh, a siege mentality in terms of the store owners in some of these areas because they're worried about looting and things that have happened in recent years here. Right? They're, they, they look like they're um, 
prepared for the worst all the time and that just these all it all sends psychological signals it all has an impact on on the community and you know you also do see you go around there there are some houses where clearly people have put money into them and they're trying to uh, trying to make their neighborhoods better and you, you see people that are either in a job in a store or on their way to work and you know every just like every city across the country there's there's poor areas and there's uh, wealthier areas and this is just the nature of urban living but there is something uniquely depressing and sad about how widespread and how bad the bad areas of baltimore really are and they've been this way according to residents uh, that i've talked to here who have been here a long time it's been this way for decades let's put billions of federal dollars into this place i do want to know where does all the money go where does it all go um but they'd much rather democrats instead of looking at this and trying to understand that if people believe they're unsafe everything else is secondary to that if there's a sense that you could see violence on a street corner on any given day and it's a regular occurrence of course businesses aren't going to necessarily want to move in there of course there's going to be uh property values that won't go up and you have to make people safe before you can make them prosperous and that's why a better conversation here, I think, is a, a more honest conversation would be so helpful. But instead, they want to say that Trump is a, a racist because he used the term infested for rat infestation in Baltimore, which is a problem in a lot of cities. But it's a big problem here. There, there are these alleyways full of trash. And I remember that when this whole controversy broke, uh, broke out, people were saying that Trump only uses terms like infested when it's involving something that has to do with minorities that was the claim or maybe trump was just speaking english the way that people speak english i mean here's elijah cummings whose district i was driving around in today in baltimore 20 years ago here's a video of him using a, a certain word to talk about his area and and another word that i think we'll dig into in a second here to describe the residents in his district play 17 Sometimes I really just think we don't get it. This morning, I left my community of Baltimore, a drug-infested area, where a lot of the drugs that we're talking about today have already taken the lives of so many children. The same children that I watched 14 or 15 years ago as they grew up, now walking around like zombies walking around like zombies drug infested these are ways that people can describe highly dysfunctional urban areas has nothing has nothing to do with race obviously elijah cummings is talking about his fellow residents here in in baltimore but the, the biggest problem and the the one statistic that you can't get beyond is that it has one of the highest murder rates per capita of any city uh, over 100,000 people in the United States. That keeps investment away. That keeps people from wanting to make a go of it here. If you were asking me, what's one of the first things, I was talking to the guys today, what's one of the first things I would do in Baltimore that has not been tried, that might have, based on the data, and people are going to say this is crazy, make it, make it much easier for people, legal, lawful uh, residents, to be concealed carry permit holders just changes the whole you know if, if you're a concealed carry permit holder and have a, a decent familiarity and, and dexterity with your weapon it's less likely you're going to feel the need to have 
grates upon grates upon metal bars on your windows, on your doors. I mean, it really, yeah, the guys in here are saying, that's right, a concealed carry permit holders. Changes the whole calculation. Now somebody who wants to rob you for some drug money or for whatever has to think, hmm, maybe I'm going to take this person's wallet, and then when I decide to turn and run, they're going to draw down on me. That, that makes you think twice. Makes you think twice where you're going to break into a home and look around for, for money or for prescription drugs. If the homeowner, there's a decent shot that they might be able to shoot. So that would be one thing, because Baltimore, just like all these other cities, there are guns everywhere, there are shootings all the time, but if I moved here, and I asked the guys about it, I said, could I get a concealed carry permit here in Baltimore? No way. Not not legal and federal government trained former CIA buck. I, I couldn't get a gun here. Uh, but meanwhile, you drive around the street corners, there are dudes with guns all over the place. I want to know performance. I want to know what are we doing? I mean, is it working? And I see now that we have brought oh, some 15, 1,700 people out of prison right into a job. And it was because of what you set up in the economic environment that caused the companies to be short of labor, that they were willing to change some of the ways they did things so that they could hire these people. We are now being called by the sheriff to bring financial literacy into the supermax. That's where those who have committed some things that are fairly heavy. But he wants, he's seen the results of an economic influence on these people. That's Dr. Bill Winston explaining how Trump's economy and criminal justice reform are, are working together to accomplish some of the goals that this administration has been pushing of making the transition from prison into society easier more more um, successful and trying to create programs that will allow people who have served their served their time and paid their debt to society to go forward and be productive individuals and i was thinking about this just in the in the context of all the talk over baltimore and and as i am here today speaking to you right now in downtown baltimore uh, the good intentions of liberals on some of these issues cannot be used as an excuse for the bad ideas that they just continually push on all poverty, crime, and and urban decay-related issues. Uh, We have a lot of, of data to show that what they want to do does not work, and what they refuse to do could work or does work. Um. Now, criminal justice reform, when you're talking about training, job training, preparation for life on the outside, there is some real bipartisan support for that. But, you know, there'd be more bipartisan support for it if Democrats wouldn't view this as something that they don't want to give Trump a win on. And, you know, that's always in the background. They're always thinking, oh, well, we can't allow prison reform to be a successful program under this administration, because what is one of their favorite favorite things is to call president trump a racist and as i've pointed out to you earlier in the week if he really did hate people of a of different skin color or think less of people because of their skin color uh the the way that he's approached his job as president when you're talking about policies and actions is completely inexplicable uh, the president has reached out to the African-American community. And when you, whenever you hear him talk, at, talk, and I know that usually that because he's a Republican doesn't usually work very well. 
Uh, and, and I think that a lot of that is just the conditioning of those communities by their leaders and also by the media into assuming that Trump is always or, or sorry, that any Republican must be racist. Anyone who's on the Republic in the Republican Party is automatically suspect. And if you don't think that that person has some kind of problem, well, then you're suspect especially within the African-American community. I mean, I know this from friends of mine who are black and who are conservatives because we work in media together, and they deal with a lot of heat. They, they get a lot of pressure, social pressure, from, from their peers within the African-American community to take certain stances. And the, the one argument that right now all liberals think they can always win is when you get them into a corner on, hey, you can't actually do these things you say you're going to do on health care. You're never ever going to accomplish what you were promising these democrats on the debate stage saying that we're going to you know do millions of jobs and the green new deal and the it's just this is looney tune stuff but when you push on that their go-to their safe spaces will do you agree that trump is a racist and, and it comes from all across all across the media it, it comes from leadership of the black community like al sharpton uh, and, you know, here, here's Don Lemon last night. This, he's supposed to be a, which I know is laughable, right? But he's, he's supposed to be a an objective journalist. CNN does not bill him, does not promote him as an opinion journalist. They, they simply do not. And that's ridiculous. And it's one of the reasons, among many, why I cannot take CNN seriously in the least, but here he is at a presidential debate. You got, uh, what, about 8 million people watching? And Don Lemon asks questions like this. Play three. President Trump is pursuing a re-election strategy based in part on racial division. Systemic racism has touched every part of American life. What Trump is doing through his racism and his xenophobia is demonizing a group of people. The president is advancing environmental racism, economic racism, criminal justice racism, health care racism. I, I, what, are, what are these subdivisions of racism that she's coming up with? I haven't even heard of some of these things. This is, this is now new. Now we, have to, now we have to slice everything even thinner on, on the racism scale to talk about how terrible Trump is. But notice how Don Lemon teased that whole thing up. President Trump is pursuing racist policies. This is damaging, folks. It's damaging because it shuts down discussion of sensitive topics. It shuts down difficult conversations that need to happen about places like Baltimore, where I am right now. It makes it too politically risky to reach out to the other side because you know that they may slap your hand down and, and just attack you. It also means that there's not a lot of good faith between the two sides when the president is doing something like criminal justice reform and he knows that the Democrats, the leftists, aren't going to give him any credit for doing things that they themselves say they would like to accomplish, it, it just lowers the incentives. And, and the only reason the president is doing it, really, is because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if there's a First Step Act Part 2. There's been some talk of that, but I think it would have to come in the second Trump term. The good news about all of this is that I think that there will be a second Trump term. Um, but I just know that uh, racism, look, I, I'm prepared for, in my uh, appearance on Bill Maher's show on Friday, 
the the racism issue is going to come up and i know that there that there'll probably be a panelist who will want to corner me on do you believe donald trump is a racist and i know that they may think i'm crazy for saying this but the answer is no i do not believe donald trump is a racist and i think it's irresponsible and unfair to call him a racist um, and this is now where we get into the definition of well what what makes someone a racist if you say something that is considered politically incorrect and therefore and in some way racially insensitive does that mean you're a racist there are a lot of things that you could say that might have a uh, a, a an impact that might upset some people you know you talk about different numbers when you're talking about criminal justice reform the disparate impact of certain criminal laws on the uh, on minority communities in this country that may be upsetting but doesn't mean you're a racist it just means you're talking about politically sensitive subjects and if you speak about them in a way that is straightforward as trump does well then you're really taking risks but judge trump by his actions on this not by what the media says you are now entering the freedom hunt tactical operations center all sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know clear. team buck is cleared Roger that. and ready for the buck brief osama bin laden's son may be dead This is according to unnamed U.S. officials hitting the wires all over the place. People are once again talking about bin Laden, al-Qaeda, jihadist terrorism. These are things that had largely fallen off the radar in recent months. Ever since the Trump administration escalated the air war against ISIS in Syria and allowed officers and generals on the ground to make key determinations about how to conduct that fight, We've heard very little about the force of jihadism that one from when I was in college until the last couple of years was really our primary day to day national security concern. You always have the geostrategic threats, Russia, China, you know, transnational drug cartels, and those are going to be around. But on any given day, we had been living now for almost two decades with this concern, with this fear, based on events that had already happened, that we might be hit with another mass casualty terror attack. We could lose 100, 200, 2,000, perhaps more, because of some jihadist plot against the United States, against our allies. There's an eerie silence. There's not a lot of jihadist chatter now. And I want to return to that in a moment, but... Today, you do have some talk about bin Laden because it seems his his heir, Hamza, who had appeared in al-Qaeda propaganda videos, uh, he was born in, it's believed, 1989. So what is he now? He would have been in his early 30s, uh, late 20s, early 30s. And he's, we don't have any information about who took him out or even if it's really confirmed that he's been taken out. But he was believed to be uh, in the process of being placed as a leader in his father's terrorist organization, Al-Qaeda. You also had, in the last uh, 24 hours or so, some ISIS posts that got attention here. You had ISIS threatening attacks in San Francisco, New York, London. The quote here was... uh, from their message they put out oh here we go answer the call go and answer the call don't spare none kill them all 
it is now time to rise, slit their throats, watch them die. And it looks like they've got a, an ISIS fighter walking down. It appears to me to be, I think this is Manhattan. This looks like 6th Avenue, not far from uh, Fox News headquarters, as well as not far from CNN, NBC. Uh, another guy standing in what is clearly a, a New York street corner with a backpack bomb on for a suicide bomb. Through our blood comes success, and we'll give it our best to destroy the Kufar. You know, Kufar is non-believers. We will slaughter them all. Uh, so, look, there, there's a bunch of ISIS propaganda that's out there now. They haven't been able to engage in any major attacks against us or our allies in quite some time. I don't have a good answer for you as to why we haven't been hit for a while. I, I, I can't really. Yeah, sure, we've been degrading these terrorist networks we've been taking out their leaders there's a lot of action that you can point to that over time perhaps has had a cumulative effect but how often do you hear about isis or al-qaeda anymore or any real jihadist entity threatening american or western interests it wasn't long ago when many of us thought that we would be in a uh, a multi-generational struggle against islamism and jihadism and i'm I'm somebody who's of the mind that this is there's going to be a comeback here. There's going to be another another chapter of this. I don't think we've beaten them yet. When you look at some of the states that could fail in the Muslim world in the Middle East, some of the the, possi- the possible collapse of say I don't know, Saudi Arabia, there are any number of things that you could point to as a theoretical. Um, but something's going to happen, folks, and we're going to be back fighting the jihadists and i just hope that it's not anything that occurs on on u.s soil or that is a mass casualty incident or you know that that hurts americans or allies but there's no way that these guys are done so it's good news if hamza bin laden has been taken off the battlefield one way or another but and these isis warnings don't get me too spun up with concern the jihadists are not done yet that much I can tell you with certainty. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. Roll call. Here we are. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being here. Coming to you from Baltimore, Stansbury Research HQ. So, you know, I do some work with my friends here at Stansbury, and they kindly let me uh, use the Stansbury, the Stansbury Freedom Hut, which is very nice. It is more spacious and better light than the Freedom Hut Freedom Hut. But nonetheless, and it also was why I was able to spend some time today just... Uh, going around and seeing this city in more detail for myself which is uh, uh something that i thought was worth describing all right facebook.com slash buck sexton let's get this party going uh we have seth who writes mike baker was on the rogan podcast recently he was a cia covert operations officer Based on the views he was expressing on all things political, it sounded like he'd been listening to The Buck Sexton Show. It was refreshing to hear someone on a large platform like that in 2017. Rogan was averaging 95 million podcast downloads a month. Wow. Making some sense. 
uh, Shields High. Well, Seth, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, Mike Baker and I have known each other for years. In fact, when I first got into the media game, I had a I had a coffee with Mike Baker right near uh, Herald Square. And I always remembered him. Mike was a, he was a good guy and, and encouraged me and was, was helpful. Because when you break out of Langley world and become a civilian, there's a whole psychological process of, can I do this? What am I allowed to say? Uh, you know, am I, you know, what am I really equipped to do on the outside world? And, and Mike was very uh, helpful in that process. And he's, he's just a good guy. Uh, I've always, I've always liked Mike and uh, he's, he's an excellent I was going to say excellent character on Red Eye, but he's not really a character. He's himself on Red Eye, uh, but he does a great job. So, yes, indeed. Oh, uh, Candace writes, sorry, Buck, I can't watch Bill Maher even for you. He is too disgusting for words. Have fun and watch your back. Candace, come on, Candace. I need you to watch. You know, uh, they, they, to Bill's credit, he is bringing on a conservative who is both uh, adept at the arguments and fierce in the debating. So let's see what we got here. It'll be a different different feel, a different vibe than you've seen in the past. So uh, give it a shot, Candice. But if you can, I understand. But try to give it a shot. Angela. Hi, Buck. I read nine articles a day that talk about rat infestation from nine different media outlets, excluding Fox. L.A. Times and New York were the most mentioned. They must be racist, too. No, there's a lot of... There are a lot of rats in the major cities in the U.S., and this is where I, you know, people have their things that they fear or things that they have concerns about. My friends, some of the worst diseases, of course, the uh, bubonic plague, uh, the Black Death, that that comes to mind. Some of the worst uh, diseases, uh, infectious uh, diseases in history have been spread by rats, or really more specifically, the... uh, fleas and and other small uh, insects that will be carried on the backs of rats it's particularly the fleas that that was what spread the bubonic plague um but even you know rat uh, i don't want to get into this but you know rat le- rats leave behind stuff that then other bugs and things will actually get into it's very very bad very very bad uh there's a special i forget what it's called a rat lungworm disease i think is which can be i think it can be deadly all right enough about rats but yes, there's that's a real problem. You know, people start to come up with, well, what can we do about the rats? Oh, I don't know. We got to like get like, uh, you know, cats everywhere. Well, then you got cats all over the place. You know, so uh, I remember there was uh, a fear for a while. This is one of those great 90s local news stories that blew up in a whole thing of fire ants and how fire ants. It was always either fire ants or Africanized bees. That's what they were, were saying, you know, Africanized honeybees. Um, and fire ants and Africanized honeybees, they were, they were this terrible threat to us, and they were just going to swoop all the way up and make their way from the southeastern United States and along the border. And it never really happened quite that way, although I do, I do think that fire ants, that's a real thing that can happen in certain places. Um, but the uh, proposals that were put around at one point included introducing, I believe, a, a South American strain of anteater which is one of the very few natural predators that these fire ants have and then people realize well once you start having these anteaters walking around uh the only predators that they have are are really jaguars so i don't think we're going to start introducing jaguars anyway you mess with the ecosystem 
and things happen. So, wow, I just got on a whole rant there about about bugs. I wasn't expecting, but that's the beauty of this show. Crazy things happen. Hayden writes, Consumer Reports gives their ugly writing to Kirkland Bacon. When I was in New York, I had a BLT made with boar's head bacon, which I think is far superior. The bacon in this pan looks much too fatty. I like mine about 60-40 lean to fat. Um, okay. I don't know what you're talking about, Hayden, but thanks for writing it up. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, Glenn writes, you're an amateur bacon maker. 400 degrees Fahrenheit on a rack in the oven for no more than 20 minutes. Glenn, false. Disagree. You really want to go there, son? You really want to see who's got the bacon skills? Let me tell you something, my friend. Not only do I cook my bacon much more rapidly than you can do it with your in-the-oven, which you think I don't know about. You think I don't know about in-the-oven bacon, Glenn? Who do you think you're talking to here, my friend? I've I've gone the in-the-oven route. I just find it to be wanting. That's right. It has been weighed and found wanting. Uh, 400 degrees Fahrenheit on the rack, blah, blah. Okay, 20 minutes. That's a very long time. I leave my bacon out a little bit. You don't want to take it straight from the fridge because then you have to get through the chill on the outside of it, and I want to make sure that I cook it through perfectly so that it is cooked but not blackened on the outside. But I also, my friend, use the grease in the pan from the bacon for either frying of eggs or hash browns or any number of other things, Uh, which I know you'd say, oh, I can do that in my rack too. Yeah, I like it in the pan, ready to go. You come with my bacon skill. You come with the bacon king, you best not miss. Krista. Hey, Buck, I was listening to you tonight and wanted to tell you about my little find. Hmm. I buy pork jowl that is made into the most awesome bacon. It comes unsliced. I use it in salads and other dishes, fried rice, stir fry, and just about everything I want. I'm not sure of the availability in your neck of the woods, but it's worth buying. I now keep it on hand. Love listening to you. Pork jowl, huh? Hmm. I have never I have never had the pork jowl. Kelly, I have a question for you. Just curious as to why you call Mitch McConnell cocaine Mitch. I'm not a real fan of the turtle, but had not heard you refer to him as such. Well, Kelly, it's a joke. Um, it's a joke that came from a, a political, a Democrat running for office. I, I think it was in Kentucky, but it might have been in West Virginia. I forget now. And he ran some ad about how a a ship that was owned by a company that Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, owns an interest in, that a ship that was part of the shipping company had some cocaine on it. And so the the amazing leap here was that Mitch McConnell was somehow involved in the drug trade because of this. And he referred to him in the ad as Cocaine Mitch. And it just stuck as an absurd. It became a meme. And now people make, you can get Cocaine Mitch t-shirts and where they have Mitch McConnell's face uh, superimposed on either uh, Tony Montana from Scarface or as Pablo Escobar in uh, Narcos. So yeah, that's Kelly how it, it just came from a political ad and that it became a joke. I do, I do want you to know, for those that, that are worried that it's offensive to Mitch, I've heard from someone very close to Mitch McConnell on his staff that he, at least in the past, has found it very funny because it is so absurd. So he does not take offense to it. It, it, is, it is bizarre, and everyone knows that. Um, here we go. Uh, Hans writes, 
Grew up and currently listening in the uh, WGY area of New York. I listen six to eight hours daily from Glenbeck to your show. I'm mainly uh, issue-driven, but generally lean conservative. Enough about me. You are full of it in a great way. Truly love the facts about women's soccer. Played three years of soccer myself. Uh, truly enjoyed your full perspective on thick bacon. I'm of German descent and embrace its food culture with its emphasis on pork. Check out your nearest German deli and get your bacon sliced thick, but do buy the smoked pork chops. If you are ever in Albany, here's a recommendation. Uh, you'll never buy pork chops from anywhere else. Thanks again. Enjoy chatting with you. Well, Hans? Hans, this is radio, not television. Uh, see how many of you are going to get See how many of you are going to get that reference. I, I should probably just stop saying a movie reference when it happens, because otherwise now I'm flagging it for you. You know, Hans, what am I, a method actor? Uh, Michelle. Hey, Buck, you're going to love this if you didn't see it on CNN. It is the political quote of the night. CNN, Williamson says, Trump is a dark psychic force. Didn't know Trump was Darth Vader, or does Marianne understand that Star Wars is a movie shields high? Uh, Michelle, that was one of the more memorable moments from last night. So, indeed, thank you for uh, raising it to my attention. I do appreciate it. And uh, with that team, I am going to be... I I have to jump into the debate probably a little late tonight, because I I had something I got to do a thing. But uh, I'll try to live tweet uh, some of it. But after tonight, I'm going to be live tweeting all the rest of the debates and plenty of buckisms on the Twitter. And I'll try to put them on Facebook too. I'll be in LA tomorrow, coming to you from the West Coast, the Left Coast. So until then, shields high.